Te Maria. Welcome to First Up. It's Rapa, Wednesday, the 15th of June. Kornathan Rarere Aho. Coming up, we are just one hour away from the All Whites World Cup qualifier against Costa Rica. We'll be crossing live to Doha twice. Yeah. Queensland's cold snap puts demand on the Australian power grid. Pam Corkery is with us from Brizzy shortly. Space James Parr talks about sentient robots and how Elon Musk is actually helping Ukraine in the war against Russia. Really? And an Auckland jeweller is closing down after 20 years after being targeted by ram raiders. I feel very angry and helpless and I feel like I'm just forced into early retirement. I just don't feel safe anymore. Atamaria, welcome to First Up. I've <laughs> got to turn my mic on. That was good. Great start to the show. Do you know why? Because I was too busy standing on the chair. I was standing on the chair clapping with my arms. Going, Come on, then. Come on, then. Come on, Because that's how you watch soccer football. And we begin this morning in Doha, where the All Whites will play Costa Rica for the final place at the World Cup, which should be happening now, but is happening later. Uh, it's uh, it's not just about playing um, soccer at the highest level, of course, because up for grabs is $16 million worth in funding for the game here if they are able to win this morning and take out the tournament. Joining us now from the stadium in Doha is Alex Beard. Come in, Alex. How are you? Where are you? Morena, Nathan. So we're, we're just getting to the stadium, we're at the stadium now. Um, pretty, pretty electric atmosphere, to be honest. Um, just before we headed to the stadium, there was, we were with a very enthusiastic crew of Kiwis who have flown in from, from Abu Dhabi, from London. And it's a small group, but they'll be making a lot of noise. You can tell. Now, the odds don't look like they're in our favour, sadly. Um, Costa Rica is a very strong team when you compare it to the All Whites. But you know what? Here's hoping. They're bums, Alex Beard. We go to war with Costa Rica today. Maybe that's what you say. But <laughs> but do it in the polite New Zealand way, not an actual one. Not like those European fans where they rip up seats and throw them at each other. Don't do that. We'll, 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 we'll try. But it might be hard. It might be hard. Yeah, it might be. Hey, let's just get into some news while we hear President Biden announcing it's his first visit to the region as president. It's pretty significant, is it not? It is. So he'll be going around the region, but most importantly, he'll be visiting Saudi Arabia. So there'll be a bit of toing and froing around this. So we initially heard about this around a week ago, and then it was uncertain as to whether he was actually going to make this trip, but it now seems that he is. Interestingly, he'd spoken out really strongly about the murder of journalist Kamal, uh, Jamal Khashoggi. And um, he had he called Saudi Arabia a pariah state. He made a point of saying he wasn't going to go there. And now he's suddenly about turn. So he will be hearing to Saudi Arabia. I think this is quite important, too, because you're at a, a point in time where oil prices are really high. We're having issues of supplying oil to the United States. And this could be a time where he's going to use his diplomatic know-how to try and potentially free up some oil to send it into, into the United States and change those really high oil prices. He'll also be heading to Israel. But it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this. Yeah. Uh, also, if we go to Iraq now, dozens of MPs have resigned en masse. Why is that? Yeah, so it'd be very hard to imagine this happening back home, but 73 MPs from the largest bloc in the Iraqi parliament have resigned en masse. So their leader, Moqtada al-Sadr, 
um, have basically got fed up because what we've had here, we've had an election last year and there's been eight months of political deadlock. So for eight months, they haven't been able to choose a president. For eight months, they haven't been able to form a government. And basically things came to a head and they were sick of it and that they saw that the only way to get out of the situation or, or create some sort of movement was to resign. Now, Iraq has been in political turmoil quite a lot recently. You've had a number of protests calling for political change. And then there was this election last year, eight months ago, and there was some kind of idea that maybe there was going to be political change. But now that's all up in the air again, and we'll have to see what happens and whether they'll be able to form a government and indeed choose a president. Yeah. Well, Alex, thank you very much for your time. Alex, just before you go, can can we get, uh, can I order some content off you? Just ask for some. You know, when, <laughs> you're, when you're in the stadium, I would just like to know, can you take a photo of what sort of food you can get at the stadium and how much it costs? You know, I, I, I just want to know how much a punnet of chips is. Do they have punnets of chips? I'm not sure. I imagine there's some amazing oh, food knows? that I haven't thought of. Yeah. Oh, you know what? For you, I'll do anything, Nathan. So you can, that'll be incoming. Perfect. Thank you very much. Alex Beard, live from Doha. It's 10 past five. You're listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarity. Keen for your feedback this morning. You can uh, contact us about anything, uh, anything you feel that you'd like us to have a chat on, 2101 or email us first up at rnz.co.nz. But uh, what part, are, are you a soccer person or are you a football person? Soccer football. As you get, Katrina, thank you. Katrina is soccer football. So wait, I'm going to put that in as the third one. Soccer football. Are you a soccer person, a football person, or a soccer football person? There you are. Or do you just enjoy saying soccer around football person because it sort of annoys them a lot more? That's what Jeremy does there with his thumbs up. Uh, another question also I've got this morning is uh, when I say en masse, do I feel undeservedly sophisticated? Because I kind of do. Uh, 2101 or email us first up at rnz.co.nz. Maybe there are things that you say that make you feel undeservedly sophisticated as well. But it puts a peep in your step. Um, let's go... Let's go. <laughs> Let's go to Australia right now. Uh, Queensland has extended. Uh, it's got this extended cold snap happening, and what it's done is it's put the pressure on New South Wales electricity grid. Uh, also, too, this horrible outing of a celebrity has uh, backfired big time on the Sydney Morning Herald. We'll talk about both those things with Pam Corkery, who is up in Brisbane right now. Kia ora, Pam. How are you? I'm very well. I'm smiling and um, undeservedly. What was it? Sophisticated. Sophisticated, yes, I'm only missing one colour. Um, <laughs> the bift between the states, New South Wales blaming Queensland, isn't helpful or true. So we've got five states um, still under threat of blackouts over the next few days and for possibly the next six weeks on and off. New South Wales, Queensland, Victoria, Tasmania and South Australia. Now, there are a few good reasons. Climate change denialism for the shortages, old and expensive coal plants, floods in New South Wales and Queensland have filled up coal mines and uh, and caused um, transport routes to be restricted. And the other nasty part of this is that the dodgy electricity suppliers also due to wholesale energy price being capped by their sort of independent body that runs them all because the price is going skyward. And generators have said, no, we're just, we've shut down for the night. That's so amazing. They, just, they don't like this limit on it. And there's no, isn't that selfish? There's no shortage of fuel 
produced here in Australia. It's just exported. We're one of the largest exporters of liquefied national uh, natural gas. And, you know, and we sent gas to the Ukraine, things like that. There's a whole lot to it. It's, um, but it's no fun. Like last night they said, no, it'll go out at five o'clock, I think, in, um, Queensland. And I heard this at five to five. And I thought, oh God, I'm talking to Nathan tomorrow. I better charge my phone. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my response. One woman's response. You're, you're like, better get the hangy on just in case, uh, you know, get digging, get digging. No, not too close to the house. Never dig too close to the house, everybody. That's uh, that's always your big t- tip coming out there from Matariki. Okay, well, hopefully the power stays on for you. There was a story, Pam, which I'm pleased you want to talk about this morning. I saw this on the weekend and I was flabbergasted and quite disgusted. So Rebel Wilson, uh, her relationship with a woman, um, was she was basically threatened uh, that they were going to out it, right? The Sydney Morning Herald. Tell, tell the audience this. Yeah, the columnist or the, um, you know, entertainment columnist who actually is a very good journalist said, look, we have got this photo. We've got all the evidence. Um, we'll give you till Monday to respond. And so she responded actually the next day to, to do them in. Um, and she says, you know, this being heavied into it. Um, the local and international backlash is huge. We'll just whip through that for a moment about she and this, um, fashion designer, Mona Aguma, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, she's saying it's horrible. Um, the New York Times, CNN, BBC have also reported on it. Um, also, Magda Zabansky going on and on. Um, my angle, though, possibly isn't yours. The world, in particular Australia, has been exposed to every minute of Rebel Wilson's um, weight loss, for example. I've said, I know all of her body. Um, she's litigious. And she won a couple of years ago a claim against a women's magazine. She got about 4.7 million in damages. And then they um, appealed and she only got 400,000 or something and she had to pay it all back. I just sometimes feel her reaction, or I do feel, has set the increasing acceptance and celebration of LGBTQI plus people. You know, it's sort of, she's brought back a kind of shame vibe. I feel. I, I thought the guy saying, you've got two days to respond to this or, you know, before we print this story. So she goes and does her own post to go, okay, well, this is it. And then he got mad because, oh, you've scooped my story. That's the bit that I was just like, you dick. It's her <laughs> no. news. It's her now news, that, buddy. Yes, exactly. And also, you've just shot down my argument. And I hate <laughs> that when you do that because that is absolutely right. If he hadn't spat the dummy over that... Mm. And and just apologise and the threat of the forty eight hours. But honestly, she's a she's a media she's a media word woman of the street. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Hey, very quickly, just tell us about the first Indigenous Supreme Court judge there. Who's Lincoln Crowley? Yeah, and also never heard of him. Um, but <laughs> it is well, you know, you just don't follow no, uh, don't lawyers that much. I don't he says it's remarkable, which is everyone's reaction. It's taken so long for a First Nation person to be appointed to that court. You know, I mean, this is this is amazing. He's really, there's nothing spectacular about him apart from the prejudice he would have encountered. He's just gone through the normal legal positions of doing the crappy jobs and then up to doing very high-profile jobs. He's um, just, just a very good lawyer, but about um, 500 legal practitioners turned out 
to celebrate with him. It is momentous and it's historic for First Nation people. Love it. Beautiful. Pam Corkery, thank you very much for your time. Also, apparently news out of Australia, the decline in nightclub attendance. They reckon it's down to dating apps, which is weird. I thought people just wanted to go along because, gee, I feel like paying $12 for a glass of Blue Vock with lemonade in it and listening to the Grease Megamix. But apparently no. Apparently they were just going to try and meet people to be new friends with. Maybe for more than the night, who knows. It is 17 past five, if you're listening live, to first up here at RNZ National. Of course, uh, with me, Nathan Rarida, you can download the podcast, listen to it anytime. This week, New Zealand Blood Service is running National Blood Donor Week. Nearly 38,000 new donors are needed across New Zealand in the next 12 months to keep up with the country's increasing demand for blood and plasma. Every year, almost 110,000 Kiwis donate more than 220,000 units of blood, plasma and platelets and help save the lives of 29,000 people across Aotearoa. I asked New Zealand Blood Service Communications Manager Asker Burge to explain the importance of giving blood. Blood can't be manufactured, it only comes from people who donate it. And right now we've got 110,000 amazing donors that we really want to thank this week for donating regularly. But we need more people to come and donate and, and help them out because blood only lasts 35 days and it that really goes on to help save lives. Oh, I did, I'd see, I wasn't sure about the 35-day thing, so thank you for updating me on that. Getting the blood in, is it hard in New Zealand? Because it seems like quite restrictive as to who can donate. Yeah, and, and that is similar worldwide. Obviously, our primary priority is to make sure that the blood is safe for the patients receiving it. That's why there is a lot of criteria that applies. And we, so we know that not everyone can donate. So we are urging people, you know, this National Blood Donor Week, go and check out our website, see if you're eligible. If you are, please book an appointment and start that journey of becoming a lifesaver. Okay, eligibility is an interesting one because I see they've had changes to the criteria in Australia. Because people over there that, that ate meat in the UK between 1980 and 96, they're now able to donate their blood. That was obviously around that whole mad cow disease thing there. Right. Those same people in New Zealand, though, they're still unable to. Are we pushing for a change in that sort of policy? Yeah, so we are going to be reviewing our own VCJD or mad cow deferral to ensure it remains relevant following the recent developments that we're seeing in other countries. And our review is currently ongoing. So we don't have a date as yet, but obviously if any of our criteria changes, we will make sure people find out about it because ultimately we want to make sure that the people who want to donate can do so we can help those help our donor panel you know, help save lives. Okay, there might be people saying, I would like to be involved in this, but I've had COVID in the last couple of months. Mm -hmm. Is there some form of time restriction on that? Yes, so you have to wait 14 days after you or your household contacts are free of symptoms or after the date of the positive test if you've had no symptoms before you can donate. So basically we're just asking people to to wait that two weeks and then they can um, book in to donate. Plasma as well as blood, is it donated differently? It's just a slightly longer process and it uses a special machine next to the donor. So it's probably we allow, say for blood, we say allow an hour by the time you walk and leave. For plasma, we say leave about an hour and a half. And it's got this really nifty machine. It's very fascinating, especially if you're into the sciencey stuff. You know, we really need both. We need blood donors and we need plasma donors. And plasma you can give every fortnight, which is amazing. You can actually give more. Oh, okay. Well, that, that is a good thing there as well. So we get to go in. Uh, I've been asked specifically to ask you, do you still get your little, you know, your, your cup of Milo or your cup of tea and your bicky? 
Absolutely. We love looking after our donors. So after your donation, there is, you know, chocolate biscuits and a cup of tea. And we, we do ask people to relax in our refreshment area before they carry on with their day and leave knowing that they've helped to save a life. I was going to ask you if there's any particular blood group you would specifically like, but I guess if, if we're that short of donors, you know, we're, we're trying to find 38,000 new ones, you're just after anything, right? We are. However, 80% of people will have O or A blood groups, and those are actually the two that we're really looking for. So that's why we're also saying if you, if you don't know your blood group, become a blood donor, we'll let you know, and then, and then we'll let you know how often is the best way for you to donate and contribute. Well, Aska, thank you very much for your time and uh, educating us uh, about this at the moment. Is there a place on the web or a number we could call or, you know, some good way to be involved? Absolutely. So go to our website, which is nzblood.co.nz. Alternatively, we have a great blood donor app you can download from for iPhone or for Android. And our 0800 number, 0800 448 You can call out the team there. If you've got any questions about eligibles, you've got a nurse team there too who can help out. That was New Zealand Blood Service Communications Manager, Aska Burge. It's 22 past five. I'm Nathan Rarere and you are listening to First Up on RNZ National coming up. Space James Parr explains this week's panic about Google artificial intelligence been claimed to become sentient and also we will go live to Doha the uh, All Whites about 40 minutes or so away from stepping onto the pitch to defeat Costa Rica and go to the World Cup. This week on Trade Me a car straight out of Noddy but for a price even bigger is probably can't pass by and an apartment in one of Auckland's swisher suburbs but first producer Jeremy Parkinson talks flamingos with Trade Me's Ruby Topsand. In the latest of the Auckland Zoo series of raising funds through these auctions it's the chance to spend the morning with the flamingos and the flamingo experts at Auckland Zoo, which is a pretty special way to spend a morning. Yeah, I reckon it's when uh, when I watch a David Attenborough, the flamingos always fascinate me because they do that whole head in the water scoop thing and they're eating krill or shrimps or something I'm not sure so you get the opportunity to to feed them and look after them for the day but not only that you get to be part of the naming of one of these chicks that's right yeah so the first there have been two newborn chicks and this one was the first and the second is yet to be named so there's a short list which is not yet revealed provided by the bird team and the, the winner of this auction will will get to make that decision, which is also makes for a pretty special morning. Uh, And yes, this has proved pretty popular. It's already got 251 watch lists. It has had 39 bids. It's sitting at $765 and closes on Thursday night at 8.30. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. In, In the car section, this is like some kind of noddy car. It's in Austin, a 1930 Austin, and it looks absolutely immaculate. It does, and I love that trunk on the back, the leather trunk. It's a it's a very kind of regal-looking car, this one, black and white, which seems a little bit unusual, really. Usually these cars are a, a colour. And, yeah, it's in such beautiful condition, mint condition, fully restored about eight years ago. Runs well, used on the weekends, probably not something you want to take if you're in a rush. And it's, it is in Cambridge, this one, so the buyer must arrange transport for the new home. So that means it might make for a long drive if you live far away from Cambridge. A starting price, only $19,000, so you might get some kind of bargain here. That's right, that's right. And it, it does, it certainly is popular. It's, it's had over 1,200 views, but we'll be watching 
to see what happens with this one. It's according to the description, poor health forces the sale of this one, which is a shame, but we hope that uh, it ends up in a new loving home. And you're right about that trunk on the back. That's uh, They've gone to the lengths to restore this, including the trunk, which, you know, you stick a picnic in it or whatever you like. You got, of course, you're going to be picnicking in a car like this. Yeah, you've got to. It looks like the, the texture of the trunk matches that of the the top of the car so it's just it's so beautiful it's all uniform yeah it's it's a it's a really uh, amazing uh, restoration of on on this uh, austin it's a clifton tourer 1930 uh, clifton tourer so that that one there starting price nineteen thousand dollars and that doesn't end till saturday the 25th that's right there's a little bit of time here and it is by uh, by auction which is a little bit unusual for a motors listing so it's quite makes for quite an exciting finish on the property front this incredible property in valley road and mount eden one of auckland's poshest suburbs and i don't know if you get a whole lot posher than this yeah it's beautiful isn't it it's a really you know top end modern luxury all those buzzwords in the listing certainly describe this one so this is actually a repur- this is, this building is the repurposed 1912 mount eden council chambers and the this restoration has been three years in the making and this is one of the beautiful apartments within the building there's only six in total and it was a project that developer Nigel McKenna undertook and it has it's been very popular won lots of awards for its beautiful restoration kept quite true to the original form of the building but yeah beautiful amazing location beautiful high ceilings incredible fittings marble lighting yeah just i mean all the trimmings really isn't it with this one and plenty of wood too there's no shortage of um, you know uh, wooden walls and inside of this Mm. the property it it really is something else and not something you get a lot in auckland i mean it does remind me of a a building in somewhere like omaru with omaru stone one of those types of um uh buildings but you know auckland it it was the council chambers you say mount eden borough council there are buildings like that peppered around auckland might be the old Mm. power board buildings but they're very rare to come up and incredibly well done like this. Yeah, they've done such a beautiful job of keeping that those windows and, and all of those original details, but keeping it, it looks really modern and clean, but also it, they've kept those features. They haven't sort of stripped it back, as sometimes we see happen. That's Trade Me's Ruby Topsand. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. This is the day of our life we call the 15th of June. Celebrity birthdays, we're going to go to, I guess, the small screen. Neil Patrick Harris is 49 uh, today. Doogie Hauser, Barney, uh, I'm not quite sure which one you know him as. There's plenty of roles there for Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, but um, happy birthday to you, Neil Patrick Harris. Courtney Cox is 58 years old today. Just hanging out down at that place and friends. It was a central perk. There they go. Uh, however, in 1950, Michelle Lotito was born. And you're going, I'm not quite sure I remember that. Jog my memory. I will. Um, an eater. Monsieur Mange Tout, or Mr. Eat All. In his life, uh, he ate, among other things, a Cessna light aircraft, 10 bicycles, 7 televisions, 6 chandeliers, a shopping cart, also a coffin. 
<laughs> Not all at once. It's ridiculous. Uh, he claimed that bananas and hard-boiled eggs made him sick. Uh, but there he was. He died in 2007. I don't know what he was eating at the time. Um, on this day in 1878, the very first uh, motion picture came out. And, of course, it was put together um, because a guy wanted to prove that when a horse gallops, all four of its uh, hooves are off the uh, ground at the same time. So he commissioned someone to do it for him. And, indeed, they do. Um, on this day in 1785 uh, was an interesting thing because in 1783, the French professor Jean-Francois de Rosier created history by becoming the first man to fly in a balloon untethered. On this day, which was two years later, he made history again by becoming the first person to die in an air crash uh, as he was trying to fly his balloon over the uh, the channel uh, to get to uh, England. But on this day, 39 years ago... No, no, we haven't got early. Donna Summer went, yeah. And people in record stores went, what is the song? And the record store person who was too cool said, it's called She Works Hard for the Money. It's from Donna Summer's 11th album. And someone said, that is going to make a hell of a jingle for a business report one day. And they were right. So joining us now from our business team on an extra special day is Anand Zaki. Kia ora, Anand. How wow. are you? What a privilege to be here on this day. Yeah, man. <laughs> what, look, actually, uh, look, look, I'm quite intrigued about the price of food at the stadium that the All Whites are playing in Qatar. Yeah, I'd, like to, a, a, I'd just like to know, eh? Oh, there's <laughs> a great Twitter account, uh, isn't there? Uh, oh, Footy Scran, I think footy it scran. is. Yes, and, it, and you can rate the food that you get when you're in a stadium. And there's too many yeah. mushy peas for me in the English stadiums, I'm just going to say yeah. that. Yes, like I have to agree with you. I don't know what the attraction is there for me, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm always intrigued by how, how stadium food compares in price and quality. And yeah. I have to say, it's quite astonishing what some prices are for something simple like a slice of pizza, and especially in Canada and the US, quite extraordinary. Can I just say the chicken, look, the chicken wings at the big stadium in Phoenix uh, were a credit to the state of Arizona. There we go. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, well, good. look. Uh, Speaking of food and food prices, yes. um, the latest round of food and rent increases, uh, that could set uh, inflation above 7% for the first time in 32 years. And that's the big warning that I'm, I'm talking about this morning. And Stats mm. NZ, so they reported a lift in food inflation to 6.8% for uh, the year ended May. And the rents were close to about a 4% annual increase. And that's seen ASB. Um, so they've lifted their forecast for inflation in the second quarter to 7.2%. Uh, that's up up from the current 6.9%. And that'll be the highest since uh, June 1990. So despite the housing market being in retreat, rents uh, are still very high. Uh, those of you who are looking for a rental property will certainly know what I'm talking about. And what's uh, more, domestic fuel prices are expected to keep gaining over the coming months, and that's down to the global oil prices, which are roughly about 60% higher compared to the start of the year. New Zealand dollar is a bit weaker as well. So ASB reckon inflation will hit 7%, and by the end of the year, it'll be around 6%. Uh, So the risk here is that high inflation could become more persistent than previously thought, and that'll worry the the Reserve Bank and could prompt more aggressive rate rises and the worry there would be that if they become too aggressive the economy could go into recession. 
Oh, there's that. Uh, and then tell me, what are these travel issues, Europe's travel issues? And um, they could last until the end of the year. Is this just down to the war? Well, no, the staffing shortages, uh, that's uh-huh. been uh, the main re- reason for the chaos at Europe's airports. Um, and they're warning that it might not be fixed by the European summer. And that's industry figures. So this by around the end of the year, our time. And so airlines and unions, uh, they're, they're telling British MPs that it's all set to continue. Uh, in recent weeks, thousands of people in in the UK and uh, the rest of Europe have had to cancel their travel plans after last-minute cancellations. Uh, this forced airlines to apologise. And yesterday or overnight, the British government wrote to uh, carriers warning that their summer schedules have to be deliverable. And airlines are saying that uh, staff shortages are mainly due to the pandemic, but uh, this perhaps is unique to the UK, but Brexit has uh, also shrunk the available labour pool. So look, demand is uh, high all over the place. And even in, even from New Zealand, if you're looking to travel internationally, uh, you know, I have to say good luck trying to find a, a cheap seat. Yeah, there, there's none of them. Thank you very much, Anand Zaki. There, you can hear more from Anand and the business team on Morning Report this morning at ten to seven. Let's go see what your New Zealand dollar will buy you. And particularly uh, good if you're listening and you're in stadiums around the world. You wanted to check out the exchange rate. Your New Zealand dollar is worth sixty-two point one three US cents, ninety point three seven Australian cents, fifty-nine point six five euros, fifty-one point eight one British pence. Oh, when I say euros, I mean euro cents of course, 4.1 yuan, 83.86 Japanese yen, 36.50 Russian rubles, and 424.31 Costa Rican colon. News from outer space and also on planet Earth here uh, with James Parr, founder of the Open Space Agency. We've got the lot this week. We've got meteor collisions. We've got sentient AI robots and AIs in cinema history. But I began by asking just how Elon Musk's Starlink array of internet satellites has actually been helping Ukraine in its war with Russia. Yeah, it is awesome what they've done. It's a huge constellation of satellites that's providing high-speed internet down to the ground. And what's incredible about it is it's basically providing the equivalent of fibre to people in Ukraine during the war. And uh, normally, of course, adversaries like the Russians would be trying to take out the communication links. This is part of the strategy, of course. But because of Starlink, they're able to communicate with each other. They're able, able to keep the lines of communication across the nation they're able to make adversarial attacks and on propaganda attacks that the Russians are putting in place, make them, you know, not as effective as perhaps uh, Putin would want. So, yeah, it's been quite amazing, actually, in terms of how that's uh, sort of leveled the playing field. Yeah. And, and him having to constantly push the buttons has stopped him from uh, buying Twitter so far. So that's that's quite a good thing, protecting the rest <laughs> yeah. of us from his uh, thoughts. Do, now we've talked plenty about this James Webb Space Telescope. I see it got hit by a meteoroid. How scary is that for the scientists? Yeah, I think if it was a meteoroid, it would have punched a hole in it. I think it's more likely to say it was a bit of cosmic dust. Oh. Um, but, of course, it's, it's going extremely quickly, like many times faster than the bullet. And so it made a little dimple in the, um, in the, in the mirror. But, of course, they're planning for this. This is the whole idea that um, this is the difference between James Webb and Hubble. And of course, Hubble was a classic Newtonian design. That the mirror was protected by 
the tube, of course, this one, the mirror is too big. It's actually just freestanding in space, if, if you like, or free-floating, I should say. But, of course, they, they had to plan for the fact it would get hit by dust. So it's been part of the design. Unfortunately, it's already been hit sort of three or four times. So actually, I think they're, they weren't quite expecting it to be hit as much as it has. But, uh, of course, they're planning for that, and it won't affect operations. Okay, that's good. So a little tiny dust-sized thing traveling way quicker than a bullet, but we're okay. We've got plans for that. That's good. I just wanted yeah. to get your thought on this, because you do a lot of work in the, in the AI space. So this headline, here we go. Google places an engineer on paid leave after dismissing his claim that its AI <laughs> is sentient. First off, James, when you look at Google's AI, is it sentient? It's definitely not sentient. And this is interesting, isn't it? Because what's happened is that the engineers sort of, it's like the storyline of the movie Her, if you remember that movie, when Jacqueline Phoenix falls in love with the, with the bot. But it's interesting because, you know, we tend to anthropomorphize everything. And this is, these language models are getting so good that they're effectively passing the Turing test. And so the Turing test, um, you might know, it was actually called the imitation game, it was the idea that if a computer could ever imitate a, a human interaction, then therefore we could say that perhaps it was, you know, had its own ability to, to think and it could be therefore sentient. But our modern uh, language models are uh, easily passing the Turing test, certainly for, um, you know, most scenarios. And so you probably do need a new test if anyone's up to designing one. But certainly not, not sentient. This is just these language models are trained on, you know, millions and millions and millions of examples. And they're just able to piece together very plausible sounding scenarios. So it is imitation. That's what's happening. How long, so, how long um, does it so, take yeah. engineers and programmers to put together something like that bot? Oh, they're enormous. I mean, that's one of the things which is the sort of new capacity is these these uh, massive AIs are trained on vast amounts of data and it takes you know many, many millions of dollars to build these foundational models are called. But once they're working, you know, they you can talk to them and it's um and, and this sort of it's an interesting moment actually because I think we'll see more, if you like, botification of interfaces, whether it's, you know, going to um, go to the airport or going to the supermarket, instead of talking to a human being, you'll be talking to something which is a computer, but it effectively sounds and, and looks like a human. And that's actually, I think, more of an interesting question than whether it's sentient or not, is just like what happens to society when a lot of our interactions are actually going to be with computers that are essentially indistinguishable from human beings. I mean, not sentient, but certainly indistinguishable. And that's kind of a, that's an interesting thing to think about. Of course, we saw that in the movie Her, if you ever watched that, he sort of has a more richer and deeper relationship with his computer than he does with fellow human beings. And I think that's very, very real in terms of the next, how things are going to unfold over the next five years. Oh, I haven't seen Her. You know me, I'm still watching Desperado with Antonio Banderas <laughs> in it. And the, the best AIs in a movie, James, I've got three of them to come up with. So choose me your favourite. Johnny Five. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Hal from 2001, A Space Odyssey, or TV's Metal Mickey? Which one of those is the best um, <laughs> AI sentient creature? Oh, I love Johnny Five. James Parr. It is 17 to us beating Costa Rica in the football. Uh, I'm Nathan Rarere. You are listening to First Up. So between now and six, we've got an Auckland jeweller who's closing down after 20 years. Uh, and also we will cross to Doha to speak with Kun Lamas, who is inside the stadium uh, ahead of the World Cup qualifying. No.
the professionals of RNZ are the Morning Report crew. Corin Dan, part of it, Susie Ferguson, team captain, uh, lining up people just in the tunnel. I'm just checking your, your sprigs, Susie. It's like they do pre-soccer or football. <laughs> they come along. And, are you a soccer or a football? Oh, I, th- I say football. You say football. Yeah. So I'm wondering, is that? See, my grandfather from Aberdeen, he was always he mm. was always very like, no, it's soccer. So is is oh. that a is that like a is that a very Aberdonian thing? Because I know they like everyone hates us and it's great. Aberdonians are a completely different set of individuals, Nathan. Mm. Um, they have their own language that the rest of Scotland don't really understand. So I <laughs> I can't really comment on that. Just say granite. Oh, granite. I think they love the granite. Yeah, they do love the granite. They do love the granite. Uh, Tell me what's happening on the show today. Well, of course, we are going to be uh, keeping up to date with the All Whites. Are they going to make the Football World Cup? They're playing Costa Rica this morning. For a place in the tournament, uh, there will be a lot of interest, I know, in this. And we will be crossing to to the game. We'll be crossing to a bar in Auckland where people are going to be gathering. We'll be talking football. Uh, So if you're not keen on football, then sorry about that. But it is kind of exciting. I have to say, I'm not even much of a football fan. But it is exciting when you're on on the brink, just on the edge of that possible World Cup. Glory. So yes. exciting stuff this morning regarding the old whites. Also, though, we're taking a look at the situation for the US stock markets. They got into bear market territory yesterday, or beer market, as I kept hearing everywhere. Beer. A beer. Uh, a beer. <laughs> yeah. uh, so also more coming up on that to see what the financial and the economic situation is. And back home, small Waikato town, uh, Taupiri, still reeling after a man was shot after dropping a child at school. Uh, we will hear from the community and how they're all feeling following that happening in their community yesterday. It's all coming up after six o'clock. Thank you very much, Susie Ferguson. Yes, I when I got to my school in Canada, I had to learn how to say the difference to that. A beer is one you drink and a bear is the one you run away from. I bet you just jingle a bell and go, hey, bear, and then they disappear. Apparently. Well, the global food crisis has begun to impact a key local staple on the menu in the UK. Some of Britain's fish and chip shops say they are now at risk due to supply chain shortages and rising prices. CNN's Anna Stewart has more. People flock to the seaside town of Whitstable for this. A peaceful day out on these pebbly shores. It feels far removed from the war in Ukraine. But its impact is still reaching the UK shores and Britain's unofficial national dish. This is delicious. You actually just can't beat eating fish and chips right by the seaside. Now, this traditionally was considered quite a cheap meal, but everything you see here is shooting up in price. From the white fish and the batter used to cook it, the potatoes and the cooking oil, the mushy peas, even the packaging. Since last year, vegetable oil is nearly 50% more expensive globally. Wheat prices are up even more, and the price of fertilisers made in the UK are up nearly 180%, which pushes up the cost of vegetables like potatoes. All key ingredients for fish and chips, and all that largely a result of the war in Ukraine, one of the world's biggest producers of food commodities. Thank you very much. BC Jones is a family-run business. So how long has this been in your family? Oh, 60 years. 60 years? The last two years have seen it battered by these rising costs. You see the horror going on in Ukraine. Brexit had an impact. Prices of fish, everything's gone through the roof. So much of the white fish that you get in fish and chip shops is actually caught in Russian waters, and that's got more expensive as a result of tariffs. Seeing the price of cod increase week on week to 60% so far, it's 
directly linked to the sanctions. Your profit margins must be really squeezed. The profit margins are literally evaporating. Down at the harbour, local fishermen are bringing up shellfish, the main catch for this seaside town. All effects us is oil, price of fuel. You know, I mean, my, my diesel bill has doubled. You know, I'm only a little boat at the end of the day, but you know, it's, it's a big cost. For these fishermen and the UK's chippies, the problem doesn't stop there. Not only have prices gone up, but customers have less money to spend. Energy bills have gone up, petrol's gone up as well. Yeah, I definitely will be more conscious, I think, when I, I go we'll out. I think twice before yeah. we decide to go out. To be truthful, I'm looking for the cheapest place to have a food because I used to go in the restaurant, but when you go there now, it's, it's horrible. The price is nearly double. For now, fish and chips still appears to be in hot demand here. But as the cost of living continues to bite, tucking into this traditional seaside dish may become less palatable. CNN's Anna Stewart with that one. A jeweller's in Auckland's Unihunga is closing down after 20 years after being targeted by Ram Raiders. Jewellers on Queen owner Bharti Patel says she feels unsafe after two robberies in as many months. Barty spoke to our producer, Matthew Tunison. Uh, well, we had break-in. They broke everything, glass, door, everything. We had it fixed uh, just a couple of months ago. Uh, started the business again, and within one month, there was a ram raid. So the whole front of the shop is all broken, can't fix for six months. And we decided that it's not safe anymore. I run this business on my own, and it's just not worth it. Oh, no. So the first one was a was a break-in. Were you yeah. not not at, in the shop at, at night, the time? At night. At, at night. night. Came in with crowbars or whatever. Mm-hmm. Second one, ram raid. Mm. And uh, uh, how much stock did they get? They couldn't get away with anything. But they just keep doing all this damage, yeah. just like a play, yeah. and uh, put you through this terror. Yeah. So it's going to take six months to fix the door? Yeah, at least. You can't afford that to no. wait that long? No. I feel very angry and helpless and... Uh, I feel like uh, I'm just forced into, you know, early retirement and not very f- nice feeling, no. Yeah. no. Yeah. Um, and do you have fog cannons and security yeah, and all that? Yeah, I've got everything there, everything. everything there, but still people will come, snatch from your ho- hand, go, so the whole thing has gone so bad. I just don't feel safe anymore on yeah. my own because yeah. this business I run on my own. Yeah. And it's just not worth it. And, and have, do you have insurance? I mean, you, you would be able to cover the costs? Yeah, well, the insurance is landlord's insurance, which has nothing to do with me. But yes. uh, I still, it, it affect my business anyway. And if you don't feel safe and if it's going to keep happening, yes. it just uh, you just need to get out of it. It'll affect your business because of the damage to the front? Of course, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Because you can't open it. We have to board it every night. We have yeah. a family member helping to board, take the boards out every morning, take the boards on every night. Yes. I mean, how bad is that? And have the police been helpful? Have they found it? Yeah, they've been helpful, but even if they find it, I, I'm not interested to know, because even if they find it, they won't do anything with them. They are normally, you know, young kids. And as far as I know, they got good images of from city, CCTV around us. And if they even get them, what else? There's no, I, I have no hope in this justice system anyway. So. And you'll be aware that lots of businesses are facing this at the moment. Oh, yeah. I, everybody I know in the jewellery business, they all have been ram-raided. Every single one has been ram-raided. But they are like people, the family run the business, 
but uh, this business I run on my own, so I'm out. And, and, and has it gotten a lot worse in the last, say, year or so? Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. We have been, I have been here for 20 years and never felt this, yeah. and now it's just uh, the time to go. What are you going to do now? I have no idea. I just have no idea what I'm going to do. I'll just uh, take time to think and see what I will do. And so you've got quite a big sale to try and get rid of all the remaining stock that you have. Uh, big sale, big sale, Matthew. Uh, we are selling all watches, Citizen, Citizen EcoDrive, Casio, Estina, Timex, you name it, all going for half price, below cost. And uh, all jewellery is unbelievable, just a kind of, uh, you know, melting down prices, silver. So a lot of bargains. Everybody, please come in and grab the bargain before we go. And I especially like my customer who, people who, you know, supported me over 20 years. I like them to grab good deal before I go you, and say goodbye. Until, they've got until end of the month. End of this month, we'll definitely be here. That's Jewellers on Queen owner Bharti Patel. We are minutes away from the All-Whites getting their one and only shot to be the 32nd and final team to qualify for this year's Football World Cup. Uh, The team uh, will be playing Costa Rica, Los Ticos, I believe they're called, who are ranked 70 places above us. That doesn't matter because we've got Kiwi know-how. We're in Qatar and uh, joining us now from the Ahmad bin Ali Stadium in Doha is our correspondent Kun Lamas who's there. Kia ora Kun, how are you? Very good, thank you. They just having the national anthem, and uh, the Ticos fans are going absolutely nuts. Okay, well, there we, yeah, I can hear the national anthem going. I don't know, I wasn't actually uh, familiar with the national anthem before. You say there are many of the uh, Costa Rican fans there. What about New Zealanders, Kuna? Are there any? Yeah, there's. Uh, I think there's about uh, there's about 400 New Zealanders here in one block, and uh, there's uh, there's a bloke from Manchester, Matt Beard, who's got a group called Flying Kiwis. They've been following New Zealand around since 2009. And uh, he's been basically uh, gathering all the troops from all over the world. He's got a group here from, I think, 18 different cities from around the world. And they all decked, they all decked out in uh, Kiwi flags. And they've got the blow-up Kiwi, Kiwi, uh, Kiwi birds. And it looks like uh, they've, been, uh, they've been celebrating all day and uh, come on a couple of buses here. So, yeah, it's been a really good day these guys. Okay, Kuhn, yesterday Australia had to go to penalties and they qualified through. So I want to know, if we get to a draw at the end of it all, it goes to penalties, how do you rate our chances and how do you rate our chances overall? I think, I think uh, Costa Rica is definitely the, uh, the favourite here um, with their experience. They've been to two World Cups, they've reached uh, the quarterfinals the last two times, but they're getting on a bit and they're playing quite defensively. They don't concede a lot. But, and they don't score a lot of They lose and win a lot of games 1-0. Uh, we've got youth, youth exuberance. We've got a better team, I think, than we've ever had with more skill. So I think the, it's, slightly, it's slightly towards the Costa Ricans, but uh, a one-off game, it, it becomes pretty close to 50 people. It's all going to come down to, uh, if we can hold them out, don't concede an early goal. All the pressure from Costa Rica, they're expected to win. And if we are still in the game at halftime after 60 minutes, like yesterday with the Peruvians, they get nervous. The pressure will come on. They've got all their fans here. They've got an expecting nation, a massive media contingent. And if they can't get their goal against New Zealand, then I think they're going to get nervous. 
Beautiful. Kuhn Lamas, thank you very much for your time. Sir uh, Kuhn will be uh, giving us updates here at RNZ National all across the morning as this all-important game happens too. Here's one. Uh, feedback that's come in. Look, we tried to sell a rental property, but there were no offers, so we had to refix the mortgage and charge an extra $100 a week just to cover interest rate rises. See why rents are going on up? Yes. Uh, uh, James says, Inflation, aggressive rat rises combined with base human emotion, e.g. greed. Yeah, no, it don't look pretty, mate. Uh, nice knowing you all. Oh, goodness. Uh, here's another one. Um, saying soccer is great to annoy football people. There we are. Soccer football. Soccer football at the back there from Katrina. Thank you very much. Uh, you can listen at your convenience to First Up just by downloading the podcast anytime. Morning Reporters next with Susie and Corin from all of us here at First Up. Have yourselves a successful day. Keep your head down over the ball and follow through and we'll be back in your ears. Ah, uh, ball.